Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of VMware's Partnership Perspectives. I'm Kathleen Tandy, Vice President of Global Partner and Alliance Marketing at VMware, and I'm pleased to bring you the stories and trends from our VMware partners, executives, and industry analysts. This week, I had the opportunity to sit down with Ross Brown, Vice President of Product Marketing for Oracle Cloud Infrastructure. Together, we discussed how Oracle Cloud VMware solution is solving customer problems in fast and secure ways. Listen to the full conversation now. Ross, welcome to Partnership Perspectives. It is great to have you join us today. Thank you, Kathleen. I'm glad to be here. So in your current role, you are Vice President of Product Marketing for Oracle Cloud Infrastructure. I understand with that, you're responsible for Oracle's new cloud services and solutions, initiatives that help customers learn and get certified on Oracle Cloud services, and of course, being an evangelist for Oracle Cloud. Can we start today by having you share an overview of the origins of Oracle Cloud infrastructure and how it's positioned in the market? Oracle's been a partner for customers for 40 years, helping build and deliver enterprise class systems and have a lot of experience with those customers about building the applications that run the heart of their business. Our customers really like this cloud thing that's going on where we've got the ability to scale on other people's equipment, the ability to burst as we need it and whatnot. But we really like you guys because you understand the industry that we're in. And so we did what a lot of other folks in the enterprise software space did, IBM and SAP, is we went down the path of creating first a VM-centric cloud, which I love virtual machines. But one of the challenges I know, because when I was at VMware, we had was moving a VM-centric environment like VMware into a VM-centric host environment and stacking VMs. Oracle, about six years ago, realized a big insight, which was we don't have the scale engine these other guys have, the hyperscale infrastructure. Amazon was built on top of the largest e-commerce engine on the planet. You know, Google's built on top of Googleplex, which runs Search and YouTube and Gmail and all these things. And Azure's built on top of Global Foundation Service that runs Xbox Live and runs Bing and all their other properties. And that gave them massive scale. And so we had this insight, which was we're never going to get there. Like we're never going to be able to get to that scale by copying the same model. But we also had another insight, which is we're also not bound by the limitations of that model. When you're building on top of something that already exists, you get the scale out of it, but you inherit the architectural designs of that underlying system. So for example, Amazon, their initial problem was how do we share this capacity we built for Thanksgiving and Christmas with other customers? Well, to do that, we have to have an all VM environment and shared networks. And so the public cloud for them became inherently shared networks, which lead to collisions and VM centric. Google had the same thing. We can do containers really well because the Googleplex is set up to do containers and auto scaling. They invented Kubernetes to manage it. And so you realize the design of what we think of cloud native is actually an artifact of the underlying architectural choices that were made for a completely different app. And so with that insight, we realized, what if we stepped back and built a cloud that could run every app as is, that was purpose built for every app? And that's, that leads to a couple of things. Like you would build a bare metal cloud and your core entity on it would not be VMs, but your core entity would be bare metal. You wouldn't isolate the network at layer three, which is where TCP IP lives because you still have collisions. You would go to the data link layer and say, let's go down to the data frame and block layer two and create non-shared, non-blocking networks that can run low latency applications like ERP and things like that. And so we went through a number of those things about 
designing in HPC into every backplane, designing in non-blocking networks, building out a more efficient build so we can build regions really rapidly. So instead of going through these 20 million core massive hyperscale things that have to be next to a hydroelectric dam because they consume so much power, we've stood up 30 regions in the time it's taken other folks to get to 10 regions. And so the rate of change we're able to do because we re-engineered a cloud from the ground up, we're not operating just at the software on top of VMs, sort of the way the other clouds are. We're engineering at the hardware level at the same time we're engineering new cloud services. So that gives us the ability to run things like Exadata and Oracle's applications natively, but it also gives the ability to run VMware natively. And so our VMware instance is deploying three Intel 52 node servers into the customer's tenancy and deploying full native VMware on it. So it's not a managed environment like VMC, which has its advantages, nor is it a co-located model like the other clouds where you're sitting next to your tenancy. This is, and kind of what we designed for is if you build a cloud that can run every app as is, it leads you to, you can run VMware as is. Which I know is one of the, we're going to get to it, one of the really great opportunities around the Oracle VMware cloud solution. But before that, so you mentioned that this operates in 30 regions globally. So it is available globally for customers and assuming for Oracle's partners as well. Absolutely. I'll just talk about one of the core things for us. And I'll just go ahead and talk about the elephant in the room. I'm a 30 year channel guy. And Oracle is not known as a channel-friendly company, right? Its history is not that way. But to explain, there's a big inflection point. And this is kind of one of the most interesting parts of my job and the part I really love, which is when Oracle was selling basically database and applications, the EBS stuff and J.D. Edwards and whatnot, in essence, what they were selling is accountability. We're running the heart of your enterprise. And so unlike a product, and I'll just talk about like Office, which is a distributed application used by a lot of users, you want to drive a user experience there, which then leads it to partners can do that really well. I can customize the experience or whatnot. In the case of like EBS or JD Edwards or PeopleSoft, you're running core systems for a company and it's running on a mission critical database. And so when you talk about enterprise class systems of strategy on a mission critical database, all of that is really about selling, we won't fail you. And so Oracle's go-to-market model has been nothing gets between us and the customer because we're ultimately accountable to the customer. You can stand next to me as a partner after we do this and manage it when we leave. You could stand next to me as an ISV and put your application on the same database once we're done. But that core act of serving that customer has been Oracle's ethos since the beginning. Now roll forward to the cloud. The cloud is now a platform. And if you go to a customer and say, we want to be your provider for everything you want to do in IT can be done on the Oracle cloud. The very next question becomes, which partners are strategic for you? How do we create a place for those partners to do their work for you on our cloud? How do we create it so that customers can come and say, look, I have this GSI I like a lot and I'm really close with this ISV. This regional partner does all my security work. Gotham in New York manages all my VMware environments. Those are my key partners. So I've got to be able to create an environment that says, not only is it available in all regions for all customers, but it's also set up in a way, the way we set up OPN, that we really can work with any partner. When you talk about a given program, you're typically saying you're in my business. That's different here in the sense that we want VMware partners to be in the VMware business on OCI as a platform. The same way I want Microsoft partners to move Microsoft workloads here and SAP partners over time to look at things. How do you become a platform for all of them? Is you have to be home for all those things. So walk me through then, since this is such a dramatic shift in a mindset and kind of a paradigm view for Oracle in terms of working with partners, what is the value proposition then for partners as they are working? Because we see them, and you know this, Ross, because you formerly were senior vice president of VMware Partners and Alliances. 
So, you know, deep shared history there. But we know that partners are critical for our customers, particularly as they're migrating to cloud particularly as they migrate to multiple clouds because the complexity rises with every different cloud instance, every type of workload. Workloads are moving all over the place. And to be able to have that touch point with customers over time, over the life cycle to engage, it's critical. So how have you established this program? What is the opportunity for partners with Oracle Cloud then? So that's a great question. There's kind of, say, three different opportunities because it depends on their business model and what they do. The obvious one that's very out of the gate simple is ISVs. I can't disclose the number, but I'll just say roughly half of my cloud business is ISVs who are running cloud native applications like Zoom and 8x8 and stuff like that, who don't have any connection to Oracle database. As an infrastructure provider to ISVs, there's a tremendous opportunity for them to deliver a better, more performant environment. So that's kind of ISVs customer. Then we have this relationship where we want to reward partners for driving workloads into our cloud. And so we have an incentive program under OPN that rewards the partner for a percentage of the customer's consumption. So move a big workload in, we pay you on the back end based on that increase in what we call annual consumption rate uh, for that customer. So any delta that increases that, we typically pay to the partner who drove that delta if they're in our program and have done the registration and whatnot. The last sort of aspect is as an MSP. And so for partners that are running, for example, in the VMware Cloud Provider Program, the VCPP program, you have a number of partners that are asset light partners where they run, in essence, a control center or a network operations center, but are running and managing either in-premise environments, running on customer equipment or running in a cloud center. We opened up the same way, and I'll be technical for a second. When we deploy the VMware service, we create a role called VM admin that's specifically for managing the Oracle Cloud VMware solution. And that can be assigned to a partner. And so it's entirely possible for a customer to deploy in their tenancy a full bare metal solution and turn over full management of it to a VCPP partner. In the same way, a partner who's a VCPP can buy their own tenancy for VMware and break bulk. And we can go up to 64 nodes in a cluster and do multiple clusters. So we can get pretty large as a VMware environment. And so there's a particular opportunity in the VMware context for ISVs who are working with VMware because we run bare metal. We can run there like Zerto and Veeam and stuff like that run natively. Mm-hmm. For partners that are more project-oriented reseller, moving work in there and then taking over the project management of it, we do the consumption incentives. And for MSPs, they can either do that same thing of remote management or use their own tenancy to do break bulk. So that's how we work with them. That's great. We're all seeing that MSP is going to be a huge play. Not that we don't have, I mean, we have a lot of MSPs today, but I think this is going to be the really future growth area in the channel. It's not about resell. It's about hosting and delivering and all about managed services. And we're seeing that with partners who are developing those practices, buying, et cetera. So great to hear that. What's interesting to me, Kathleen, is this shift I see going on where you can almost have this SaaS versus MSP argument. And this is kind of a really funny philosophy. And it's the answer is both. It's not either or, but it's both. There's two models to look at. One is I buy application services from many providers who run those applications in their tenancy. My Adobe Marketing Cloud is running on Adobe. My Oracle Marketing Cloud is running on Oracle Cloud. It's, and I'm going to them to do it. The other one is I can deploy in my tenancy and have an MSP management. And we're going to end up in these models where multiple different MSPs are going to be owning and managing multiple different services in the same tenancy. And that's a whole different model. It's not like I own that tenancy as an MSP. No, I own just the VMware service. Someone else owns managing the Exadata service. Someone else manages owning the security side of it. And so I think building out the right structures and identity controls and stuff so the customer can say, how am I managing my providers that are in my tenancy and seeing what they're doing and actually being able to do that well? And so that's one of the reasons we created the VM admin role is to create that separation of services so that 
you could have a clean MSP business where you're just seeing observability and logging notes and all that other stuff coming from the service you have and not everything else. Well, I think that's going to be a key feature benefit in the market because all of this leans towards complexity. Complexity that customers are saying, it's just messy and it's going to stay messy. It is going to stay complex as there are more clouds, more instances where I think we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg. So anything that helps reduce that complexity, make it simpler is definitely a a win solution in the marketplace. We're also securing it. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And all of that complexity expands the surface attack plane. Security is becoming increasingly important every day. Yeah, absolutely. Both of those are are key critical drive. Managing it, managing the complexity, securing the complexity. I want to shift and talk about the Oracle Cloud VMware solution because that is also another solution that in some ways works to make things simpler for customers. So there are some really compelling features about that. We're super excited about our alliance with Oracle. Super excited about the onstage announcement on Open World and the GA last June. In the middle of the pandemic, we still brought this out. I would love to hear from you. Walk us through what makes the Oracle Cloud Viewmore solution special? What makes it unique? Because there's some really fabulous things about it. So a couple of things I'll hit on, and then I'll talk about some non-obvious second-order things, because there's some very straightforward ones. I mentioned we're a bare metal cloud. And so, as I brought up, when we deploy the VMware solution, we're deploying ESX, vSAN, NSX, and vRealize into the customer's tenancy as bits that are straight. You can modify them in any way you want. And one of the unique things about our bare metal infrastructure is we give customers access to things like firmware. And so they can make modifications to the underlying server firmware. They can run different versions of ESX, which is kind of unique where you can mix those. And so you are in control of things like compatibility and security and all the things that you want to be able to do. Because of that bare metal nature, you can run third-party tools, almost all of them. And I'll tell you the asterisks on almost there in a second. Almost all of them run natively inside the tenancy the same way they would in an on-prem. The only exception is certain security tools that try to tunnel under the hypervisor too far and get under the firmware and then try Mm -hmm. to get the cloud control computer that's actually managing the bare metal computer. We don't allow things that would breach the control plane gap that's there so that we don't have any security issues coming out of the VMware service and somebody coming up and tunneling into the rest of the service and whatnot. But everything else runs natively into it. So that bare metal performance is on top of a server that also doesn't run shared networks. So you could be in a rack right next to Zoom running millions of Zoom meetings on Oracle Cloud, and you would never see any of their traffic. It wouldn't cause any latency issues for you. So latency-sensitive applications running in a VMware environment do extremely well. Now, I'm a technical person by trade and who got into marketing and partners and stuff as a result of not liking coding. But my background is in this engineering. The thing I'm really excited about is the work that VMware has done on NSX on application performance acceleration. And I'll call it Bob Goldsand and the solution engineering team there has done a great amount of work on that, where he's figured out how to use NSX to do anti-tromboning. So how do you eliminate the packet going to the top of the switch and back? And he demonstrated with Deloitte a couple of years ago, seven to nine X improvement in a four tier client server application. That's a VMware NSX advantage. That gets blocked if you're running that on a network where you can't isolate the traffic and, and all of a sudden you're now introducing collisions. And so this notion of two things we have in our cloud, one is the non-blocking networks and the second is incredibly low egress costs. We're different than the other cloud providers in the sense that AWS and Azure copied and whatnot this model of data gravity that says we want all your data to stay on our cloud because then the next app you build will be off of that data on our cloud. So we're not incenting you to do app dev at home back at your home data center or at a different cloud, be it here. 
And so their method of enforcing that was to charge artificially high costs for data moving off the cloud, which is what people talk about as egress fees. We recognize as Oracle that it's a multi-cloud world. And whether you choose another infrastructure cloud, you're multi-cloud if you run SaaS. And so I walk this example of people, you could be running your instances for your ERP environment in Google and be a Salesforce customer. And you want to write all the transactions that you had that quarter into the sales records. Congratulations. You're now exporting data from the cloud into a SaaS application to be able to do that and paying the export cost. So that's a friction and a tax on the business the other guys did. We did data velocity. Our costs are 95% lower for egress. And we have this SaaS Connect service that allows customers to do a less than two millisecond connection into the data center from their own data center or from Azure if you want. And so those advantages mean when you run VMware on the Oracle cloud, you get not only this bare metal performance and all the other stuff, but just really low latency connections back to your home data center. And I'll bring up the last thing, and this is kind of the second order effect. Because we did a lot of engineering work at building data centers differently, and by the way, we build our own hardware as well. People forget that we bought Sun, so we have manufacturing capacity. We don't buy servers from someone else. Because we build our own servers and because we built automation into how we do data centers, we have an offer called Dedicated Region, which is an entire three-fault domain region built inside a customer's data center for a single tenancy. That turns out to be an incredible value prop when you look at customer's Oracle estate and you look at their VMware estate. And the challenge they have, and forgive me for getting a little technical here, the challenge you have in these large application migrations is you can't move the entire environment at once. You could move the ERP, but all the other apps that are tied into it, process control apps, running your shop floor, all those things, you can't move them all at once. So you end up with these split configurations where some of the apps are in the cloud, some of them are running still on-prem, and the latency between the cloud and on-prem is what's killing the app. And so you get to these, well, failed migrations, this isn't going because of egress costs, all the other stuff. With dedicated region, we can stand up, basically during a three-year time period, an entire region in the customer's data center, run VMware natively on it, run Oracle apps natively on it, and begin migrating. And now you've got a low latency, almost zero latency connection to your legacy apps running as you migrate them. At the end of three years, once you've migrated everything into it, just move the entire region to a public region, close your data center, and you're done. And so it's created a staging strategy for people who want to do complex migrations and things that they had penciled out of that's never going to the cloud for a variety of economics regions to reconsider it because as they look at hardware refresh and do we go for another five-year rebuy on our on-prem, this becomes a well, three-year commitment and I'm out. Well, and in some cases I've heard reading about the solution that there are also examples of customers that haven't even had to wait years, right? Want some of the unique right. things based on how it's built with VMware is you have made lift and shift super simple. There isn't refactoring required. There isn't reconfig required. So customers are getting to do it in weeks instead of those years, maybe years for the very complex app environment, but for their VMware's environment, I mean, it's super fast. One of the interesting things about being here and having a partner background is whenever we come up with an idea, my first instinct is how is that going to affect partners? Like what's it going to be affect? And so this point about migration being so fast, we came to this realization back in January that Actually, the time it was taking to spin up a purchase order for a GSI to go in and do the migration was longer than the actual migration. And so our cloud engineering team wanted to make migrations free. And we had this conversation about, should we just make migrations part of the service? Like, because we don't get paid till they start consuming. It's in our interest to move it. And if it's not a six-month effort, but it's a six-week effort, that's kind of just do it. But our first question was, is that going to affect our GSIs and folks that have big migration businesses? So we went and talked to them and said, how do you feel if we made migrations free? Their answer was fantastic. We make a lot of top line revenue on migrations, but almost no margin. It's a cost mm -hmm. to move. 
Our money is in actually modernization and innovation. So building next generation machine learning apps and modernizing the user interfaces on these apps. And that work is where we make 30 points or 50 points in the case of innovation work. And so for them, they're like, hey, this is not a compete for us. This is an accelerator problem to get to the part where we can actually do value. And so we introduced cloud lift services in April and made all that stuff, including VMware migrations free. So that is an accelerant for both the partners. And I would assume that is an accelerant for customers as well, because you're removing barriers to migrations and adoptions, which we've all seen the events over the last 18 months. All they've done is accelerate the shift. All they've done is push customers who've been afraid to fully dip their toes in the water or like, well, someone threw them off into the deep end of the pool. They had no choice. People have been standing up and have just been taking on projects. So this is really removing those barriers provides even, I don't know if I want to say gasoline onto the fire, because that's not a good positive metaphor, but it's just making everything being able to happen faster. And with the kind of the accelerants that we're seeing, what do you see right now as the biggest kind of business and technology drivers that are also fueling that acceleration and also maybe fueling the future roadmap of Oracle Cloud infrastructure. And of course, I'm not asking you to disclose any roadmap, but I think we all see the driver of the cloud now. We all see some of the trends that are happening now. But what do you think are the biggest forces that are shaping as you look at your roadmap, what your customers' needs are and where you're headed next? So I will tell you what I can about our roadmap, because some of the stuff we do disclose publicly in customer briefings and stuff, and some of it we don't. So a couple trends I see going on. One is this notion of leveraging data for more value. Been around for a while, but Oracle has an advantage in this case in the sense that we get to be a fast follower on some things. And there's been a lot of painful lessons in sort of how do you do machine learning and cognitive services? How do you not abuse AI in the cloud, like facial recognition and things like that that would be problematic? How do you go about creating these services so you can go through the learning curve faster? And so you'll see this fall a bunch of cognitive services coming out from us as cloud services, but really a bunch of data science things that we're extending out. Data is core to Oracle's being. Right? If you look at our way of being, it's data, right? It's a database company. And so moving beyond relational and really building out, as we've done with MySQL HeatWave, which is our in-memory solution that scales MySQL really fast. So for customers looking at Aurora, we do that. But then NoSQL and document databases and being able to do tag databases like JSON inside of autonomous database. Scaling all those services out is kind of an important thing for us. I'll tell you, trend-wise, there's a multi-cloud aspect to this that Oracle has a different point of view on. This obviously biased from an Oracle point of view, but I think this is an accurate point of view. There is a notion of this centrality, this state of gravity that drives a lot of decisions that our competitors make, and we have a distributed model. Multi-cloud, I think, is kind of a real thing. I know a lot of folks sort of wrestle with it and whatnot, but the argument of multi-cloud can be made simply if you're, let's say you're a single public cloud company using, let's say, Azure, for example, but you're also using Salesforce. Well, if your ERP apps are running in Azure, you still got to write all the transaction data out to Salesforce to update the salesperson's record. So you're multi-cloud. And so if you just sort of accept that this notion of data gravity is not really great in a multi-cloud world, but you want free-flowing information... I think that's one of the trends you're going to see is more interconnections, more specialization over time, and where it's kind of like, I don't use a single cloud for everything, but I'm going to use clouds based on their capabilities and whatnot Mm -hmm. that they have. Now, obviously, being a small market share entrant who's trying to grow rapidly, that's an argument that's in our favor, and you'll have other people make arguments against it. But I think, logically, the technology industry, and I'll back way up to a 50-year view, has been about connecting more things together, not isolating things. And so the general trend of networking and the general trend of connectivity is towards interconnect. And so I think they're fighting strategically a trend that the market is dictating of things have to become easier. And 
I look at it the same way as you look at rail systems. In the beginning of the rail industry, you had no standardization and you had different gauge tracks. And freight operators eventually got to the point, they're like, this is dumb. We need to standardize on a standardized track. And that led to the unification of rail. You're going to see the same thing occur in any other infrastructure, whether it's highways, airplane systems, or clouds. And so that's one of the big trends. One of the other ones is you see that sort of compute everywhere is edge becomes really important. And this notion of how you build services that can be fully cloud capable, but be distributed. And so we have the big one out there with dedicated region. So we talked about a full three fault domain region for a given customer, but we also have a roving edge infrastructure, which is our compute and object storage appliance that can be ordered from your console, shipped and run remotely. It could run as long as you want. We just charge by the day for it. You'll see other form factors coming from us that allow distributed cloud computing and allow us to do that well in a way that customers will look at and go, that's actually a a real innovation. The last area I'll just talk about as trends is every service we've done, this is kind of a core philosophy for us, is go faster and go better. So in the past six years, if you look at our solution scorecard rating on Gartner, we've gone just two years. We've gone from 38 to 62. And I'm pretty sure we're going to come in with a fairly high score this year where we've been told by Gartner we're the fastest vendor in the market and introducing new services. But that's only part. Go faster and go better. Go better means when you develop a service, make it better than what's in the market. So for example, When we did our VMs, because we're bare metal cloud, when we did our VMs, first we had standard shapes. And now we've introduced Flex VM on all our things where you can customize. I want this many cores and this much memory and we create it. That's kind of a unique thing where as you go through these services, you think, how do you make it better and not just copy, but improve? The next wave for us is we've done that on compute. We've done that on storage. We've done that on networking. We've done that with VMware and all the infrastructure components. The next way for us is really looking at machine learning, data science, and how do we look at correlating data across those systems and building intelligence into it. So I won't go farther than that, but I'll tell you that where we're going with cognitive services and machine learning is differentiated in, I think, a very compelling way. Keep in mind, we also are a little unique in the sense that as a cloud provider, we're not just providing Oracle Cloud as infrastructure. We have a huge vertical market application business in the cloud and a huge horizontal market, ERP, people. So we can see a lot in those apps around what people do. And so we don't peek into customers' tendencies, but there is a notion behind the data sets customers have being able to apply across their people data, their economic data inside of ERP, their application-specific data, and create new insights along industrial lines that we're uniquely positioned to be able to do. Oh, that'll be fascinating to see how you approach that, how you approach extracting those insights for customers. I'm waiting and watching. One of the topics you didn't mention we talked about before, though, was security, which continues to be just every day it becomes apparent and more present how critically that is important in every facet of our lives as every technology seeps into all aspects. It's creating new attack services that you didn't think about. What is your approach to security and helping ensure that that data is secure as workloads are flying around all over the place? So it's a great question. One of the core philosophies behind OCI, I mentioned earlier that migration is built into the tendency as we make migration free. Security is the same way. This notion of build an app, then secure it is proven to be a really bad model. And so you have to design from security. And so We've done certain things like we have this technology called max security zones. So security zones in general, but max security zones or maximum security zone is a tenancy that you can deploy that everything is explicitly turned off. You must explicitly open access to any port, to any service or whatnot. So if you want to deploy a secure application, you build it in a max security zone, and then you go through the explicit decisions of how you grant access to it, as opposed to 
we've got a container service running on an open service, and now we've got to figure out how to secure it across all those auto-scaling VMs and whatnot. And so the basic you think of as firewalls and intrusion detection and all those things, they're just part of the tenancy and free. We actually do work reaching out to customers and marketing to them just to get them to turn on the free stuff because it really is in your best interest to take advantage. And we've had some customers are like, well, you know, I'm trying to manage costs in the tenancy. We're like, no, it's free. Just don't get hacked, right? And the same thing with observability and logging, like managing an application shouldn't be an extra cost. I mean, if you're moving the application here, I joke a lot about metaphors and stuff. If the cloud industry is akin to the food industry, like we're a supermarket full of ingredients, you can get dishes made for you by SIs. Security and logging and observability and all those things are like charging for condiments on the table. You're going to need them for the meal. You might as well make them free as opposed to salt's going to be 25 cents if you need it on your thing. So security for us, logging, observability, all of those things just have to continue to be. Now, there are high value functions that you could take to other clouds like cloud access security brokers and cloud guard and things like that. There are elements of our security that are value add above the core security that we do charge for. But I think 95% of our security tooling is built in and just usable. That's great because it's critically important and just becoming critically important every day. I wanted to ask Ross, given the fact that we're a deep VMware insider, you have a lot of awareness of VMware, our history, our products, where we're going. We're going through changes right now with Ragu as our new CEO. We are also multi-cloud fans. We are intrinsic security fans as well. But from a cloud provider perspective, what do you see as the promise for VMware and the future of VMware? I think uh, the work you guys have done around VeloCloud and the work you guys have done around Tanzu and stuff have really illustrated a forward path. Let me separate two things, the Workspace ONE and the client-side business. That has its own roadmap, and I, I think there's a tremendous value for those services, especially as you look at cloud-delivered desktops and things like that and, and device management in the cloud. So really looking at the infrastructure side and Ragu's historical maybe with software-defined data center. The real value, and I, I knew this when I was an employee there, one of the key values that's non-obvious for VMware is the standardization in that you can abstract out the difficulties of underlying environments and have, in essence, infrastructure as a service delivered. And so that notion of common tool sets across clouds is a really compelling thing where as long as it's running in a VMware environment, I can manage it. This also notion of how do I manage differentiated compatibility and whatnot is a really big thing. I'll say we're a little different in the sense that you can alter firmware and stuff on our bare metal servers, but other alternatives in the market really don't allow you full control of the server in the way that you would want. And so the ability to manage that detailed infrastructure, that interface between hardware and infrastructure and be able to manage that well, you guys abstract that. So if I want to run a version of an operating system that isn't supported on bare metal by my cloud provider, I can because it supports a legacy application or it's the other environments in my cluster. And so there's a lot of sort of what I'll call infrastructure abstraction value that VMware provides that exists in the cloud, regardless of what the underlying platform technology is. And then the work you guys are doing at automating and managing containers in those environments and how that scales out. That's an interesting play. The original use case for containers was how do I make VMs scalable? That's core to what you guys do. And so it's a natural fit to have that in there. And for me, I see as you guys continue to go down acquisitions and whatnot, and it's interesting to watch because I know Shaker and those guys are really keep tabs on all those things. It's interesting to watch the choices you guys make. You can see it in the acquisition strategy of going after pain points that are sticky in the long run. I think there's a lot of value for VMware and the clouds going forward. That's great. Well, we obviously are very bullish on VMware as well with the multi-cloud strategy and the direction we're going. But I'm glad to hear that you're still a strong evangelist for both VMware as well as for Oracle. 
I would like to close with a couple of just fun questions. What else are you reading or listening to now that's, and you're a big reader, I know that's inspiring you. And then the other one is, what is your favorite current app on your phone? Oh, great question. So I'll give you two answers. There's kind of a fiction answer for me. And I'm going to mispronounce his name because I don't speak Chinese, but there's a series of novels. Three-Body Problem won a Nebula Award. It's a great science fiction book, but it's a series of three books. Mind-bending book. Really, really clever book from that standpoint. Let's see, favorite app on the phone. Or new one or new one you've become enamored with for fun. Well, this is going to sound kind of weird because it's kind of specialized, but I'm a private pilot and I recently have gotten recertified and, and learning to get my instrument rating. There's an app called ForeFlight, which is what's called an electronic flight bag that does everything in the cockpit. It's heads-up display. It has a GPS. It does navigation. Think like Tesla autopilot like level for your car, but in an airplane. And That's right. Yeah. I'm only picking on that one because I'm spending right now as I'm going through this class and learning this stuff, I'm spending about four hours a day going through the app and learning stuff. But that I'm also, I'll confess, a sucker for Candy Crush. Oh, you are <laughs> very open in revealing that. It's a great well, mental is, way to check out for a minute. It does. And we all need that as we're balancing living in our Zoom boxes and living in these continued unprecedented times that we all talk about. But Ross, thank you so much for your time today. It is always a delight and a pleasure to talk to you. Our conversations always go in so many interesting directions. I really appreciate it. And looking forward to continue working with you and your team and Oracle and having you be evangelist for both Oracle and VMware and looking at the future of the channel and technology with our customers. Thank you for the time. Uh, it was great. What a great conversation with Ross. It was particularly interesting discussing Oracle's roadmap and how VMware partners are helping customers to put infrastructure to work as we face an ongoing technology revolution. To learn more about Oracle Cloud infrastructure, please visit oracle.com. To connect with Ross, you can find him on LinkedIn or on Twitter at at hey underscore Ross. Please subscribe, follow, share, and review VMware Partnership Perspectives podcast from your streaming platform of choice. For more information on VMware's partner programs, please visit partnerexecutiveedge at vmware.com. I'm Kathleen Tandy. Thanks for listening and hope to see you next week.